Anyaseo, welcome to Afternoon of Delight, where Leah, Megan, and Amy, three American romance novelists discussing all things K-romance from a writer's lens. We fangirl over our favorite actors and actresses, talk up our trope addictions, and nerd out on K-drama deep dives. We'll throw in a few K-pop and K-skincare recs for good measure, because why not ride the Hollywood wave all the way to shore? So grab some duck bokey and listen to your new favorite unease. Hey, Megan. Hello, <laughs> Leah. It's just us today. Yes, it is. And why is it just the two of us? <laughs> <laughs> so today we are discussing the international phenomenon Squid Game. And uh, Squid Game is very much not an Amy production. <laughs> yes, our friend Amy does not love violence, which makes me feel like I'm like, a monster because I'm like, oh, yeah, it doesn't bother me so much. And I know, right? So, yeah, she is open to it, but like, really, it's just not her jam. And that's fine. That it, you know what? That's right. the beauty of K dramas or just entertainment in general is not everything's for everybody and you can opt out if you need to. Right. It was the same way when we, when we covered Strangers from Hell. So, if you've, if you want, you should check out our strangers from hell episode with me and leah because it's a wild ride but yeah amy checked out on (laughs) of that one too so yeah it's just us today but we are really excited and it was almost just megan for this podcast because um we were all (laughs) i almost just like shuffled off to i don't know what would have happened to me but so i watched squid game in three days with my husband so we just kind of binged three a night basically but i also had and i still do have a pretty bad head cold and one night i think it was thursday night to sleep i took cold and flu medicine and you know that can like mess with you sometimes and i kind of forgot and look this was some australian shit because my husband's from australia so i like was going through the medicine cabinet was like oh i'm gonna like take this medicine that we got like when nick didn't feel well when we were in australia and so i like popped it and i did get tired quickly but you know i was kind of like okay good i need to sleep and (laughs) in my dream you know we're gonna get into squid game here in a minute but in my dream i was playing a hyper competitive game And all I remember was I just had to open up Halloween candy and eat it as fast as I could. And I had a Hershey's Kiss, which like the little triangle wrapped in tinfoil or whatever. And I was trying to peel it open. And then I was like, okay, I got to eat it. And I remember like putting it in my mouth and feeling like the sharp point of the chocolate in my mouth. And I wake up and I have (laughs) something in my mouth and I'm like coming to just kind of like just completely disoriented. And I realized because I had been watching a K-drama to like fall asleep on my phone that I'd had my AirPods in and I must have fallen asleep with my AirPod and grabbed my AirPod in my dream and popped it in my mouth. And when I felt the sharp tip of the chocolate, it was the tip of the AirPod on my tongue. And I literally like was about to eat my AirPod. (laughs) So... Glad I didn't. I mean, I obviously I'm pretty sure that wouldn't have like killed me, but I do think I would have probably been like, I think I need to go to the hospital for this. Like, I don't Uh, know what that could do to like my internal stuff. And can you imagine like going to the ER like in COVID at like three in the morning? Like, so I ate my AirPod in my sleep. (laughs) Oh my god, so bad. So anyway, that didn't happen. I am still here. I'm so glad. 
but really only you like that's such a leah thing to do yeah i talked about it on our instagram but oh god yeah and i was like what cold medicine did you take sounds like the good shit (laughs) (laughs) yeah i was like give me some of that cold medicine the first thing is we thought we'd talk about why we decided to watch squid game so i'll say first of all that squid game wasn't on my immediate watch list I saw the teasers and, and trailer for it. And I, you know, I mean, it was like on my watch list in the future, but it wasn't immediately, you know, we do have a bit of a schedule for our podcast episodes coming up. So I had things on my schedule that I kind of had to watch. So but then my husband came to me one day and was just like, Hey, have you heard of squid game on Netflix? And I about like fell out of my chair. Like, I'm like, wait a minute, what you've heard of squid game. Cause obviously I knew it was a K drama. And very rarely do my worlds collide with my husband's world, like (laughs) in like the form of like entertainment we consume. Do you know what I'm saying? Uh, My husband and I actually have like pretty different tastes. So he told me that his coworkers um, had been talking about it on Slack and he was intrigued and he was interested in watching it. He likes anything that's like twisty and kind of weird. So I said, Right away, I was like, okay, we're watching it. We are absolutely watching it. If you start it before me, I'm like communicating to you right now that if you start this before me, I am going to be mad at you. And he's like, okay, 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 I won't start it yet. So I guess I would say that was like sort of my first inkling of how popular Squid Game was. It's only been out for like two Two or three weeks. I mean, it's very fast. Yeah, it's like two weeks. So that's what I'm saying. Like it, that was my first sort of inkling that Squid Game was reaching a wider audience again my media is a little biased because i'm you know a lot of my algorithms on my social media are geared towards k-drama so when that when those k-dramas reach a wider audience i'm not always aware does that make sense so yeah so it was kind of fun that you know our worlds collided but uh within a day of us watching when we started watching it we did the same thing we binged it in like three days it was like squid game was everywhere you know, memes on TikTok and Instagram. Um, And as of this recording, I'm almost, I read an article that it's like number one in either every country where Netflix is available or almost every country, which is like 83 countries. So, I mean, I want to say we do this podcast for our love of K-dramas. We just want to talk about what we like, but we do also think it's important to keep kind of a pulse on what's going on. So if a podcast is making, you know, international headlines like Squid Game, then we knew we had to toss it into our immediate schedule. And we are, we're recording this like outside our normal schedule. We bumped other things in order to talk about this. Yeah. I mean, let's just acknowledge that Netflix scored a big goal with this drama. Um, I think this Mm -hmm. is, no, I don't think, I know that this is the first K drama to qualify as like the best Netflix show in America. So this definitely is Korean drama and Korean entertainment. Again, like, hitting kind of like the bigger mainstream a lot like how parasite did although this feels bigger and i also just wanted to preface too that like we're going to talk a little bit more high level just for this part and then once we get into like more of the details of the plot we will let folks know because i was trying to think if you're listening to this podcast you're either have watched squid game and like want to hear more about it you're considering watching it but you know, you want to kind of decide if it's for you. And in that case, you might want to hear this part, but not like the spoilers, if like you feel sold on it. And then you may just know that this isn't for you. So you just kind of want to like live vicariously through us discussing the plot. 
So this is the part where, you know, you can kind of make those decisions on if you're going to go for the drama or not, but we'll let you know when we're getting into the active spoiler section. And for me, I had first heard of Squid Game kind of a while ago, not just the name, because I am a big Gong Yu fan and I was sleuthing the internet trying to figure out, you know, what else does Gong Yu have lined up for us? Gong Yu having a cameo role in the first and last episodes of Squid Game as the the guy who likes to slap folks in the face if you're listening and like you're trying to figure <laughs> out who is Gong Yu. And I didn't look at the plot though, but it just had like an unusual name. And I'd kind of forgotten about it until I turned on Netflix two weeks ago and saw it was the number one show on Netflix and was like, oh damn, like it's this show. And and yeah, I feel like I'm always here for creative work that strips away the veneer of society to expose the dark truths in the underbelly. And while I'm not into slasher horror, psychological horror is totally my jam. And I also knew that this was going to be something I could probably convince my husband to watch because really K-drama is like my own thing. He's not interested. And I felt like I was going to be able to entice (laughs) him with that. And I was. So yeah, we were able to like, you were like one day ahead of us, Megan, but like we basically finished it in the same, like we both watched, I think in three days. (laughs) Oh yeah. I'm pretty sure like I finished it the night before you did. So yeah. like you, you, like I watched it and then the next night you were done. I mean, we watched it cause we kind of decided around the same time. We're like, let's do it. You know, it's really popular. We should probably talk about it on the podcast. And also I kept seeing stuff everywhere and I'm like, I'm going to be spoiled. Like, I, like yeah. soon I'm going to, and I don't want to be like, I really love going into things totally blind. So again, we want to talk about this in a non-spoiler way, but we also wanted to describe what squid game is for those who don't know what it is or aren't aware or even if you're intrigued or whatever so for me squid game is a cross between saw the the movie franchise and charlie and the chocolate factory with a little survivor thrown in i'll probably talk more about my charlie and the chocolate factory parallel later but anyway in brief squid game is about several hundred people who are so in debt or down on their luck that they're willing to risk their lives in several deadly games held by a mysterious organization for a chance to win billions of won. It's brutal at times, but also highly emotional. And it's the tension around the violence and like the interpersonal relationships among the characters that make this a standout to me among other survival type shows or movies. One thing to note, this is definitely not for kids. Uh, That was one thing too, is Amy, so she has a 12 year old son, And he'd heard about it on like TikTok. And he's like, mom, maybe we can watch it together. And then they went and looked at like the (laughs) parental control warnings and stuff. And she's like, uh, I don't think we are going to be watching this together. And (laughs) I remember I messaged her the next day. I'm like, Amy, you cannot watch this with your son. Absolutely not. This is, that's a good call. Good parental call. So while not any, I, I wouldn't call it any more gory than Western shows or media. I mean... In America, we have like the Hostel franchise, the Saw franchise. I mean, those are very gory. But for me, the violence in this drama feels very personal. So it involves desperate humans, and they're all given nuance and characterization and backstories, and they're committing violent acts against one another. And I don't. It's not really spoilery to say that. It's basically, you know, sometimes when you have some sort of psychological horror like this or or just say like a scary movie you kind of have this just like 
evil villain and you are able to kind of like detach yourself from him or her or it it's just you know it's just an evil being who's like preying on innocent people and this movie wasn't really like that i mean especially once you really get into the games you you know you have people that are fully fledged humans making these decisions and it, it against each other and it's just yeah it's really personal and, and it's hard to watch there is also some nudity and some kind of uncomfortable sexual situations yeah i would say that having watched obviously a lot more k drama than k cinema i would say that um korean cinema tends to really embrace sometimes like more of a nihilistic or dark subject matter and not be afraid to get into more kind of like overt violence and also nudity and uncomfortable sexual situations and so in yeah, many ways yeah. this drama felt more like what i have experienced in watching korean cinema than korean drama before like i mean seeing like raw sexual transactions basically with like boobs and like a lot of nudity and like rutting basically like that's not something that like you're gonna see in a korean drama normally i just want to add to that so i saw a south korean crime drama film called night in paradise that's on netflix and i want to say same uh that movie is extremely violent totally nihilistic it's just i would say ag agreed that this sort of felt more in line um with that which again don't watch night in paradise unless you know, I don't know. You feel bold because that is hard to watch. <laughs> so for me, the series can really be summed up in two words, which is fuck capitalism. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, you've got 456 people struggling in dire personal economic situations. And, you know, what they're aiming to do is win a financial prize in the amount that they decide could completely change their lives and most, if not all, completely destroy their humanity in the process. And in the end, the prize money, I'll talk about the prize money more, I think, actually more in the spoiler section. But there were certain elements that make a horror movie really shine, in my opinion, and Squid Game ticks these boxes. And so I think one thing is people who can die anytime, you know, check. In this drama, life is cheap. Mm -hmm. And your death actually can make others more wealthy. <laughs> and so there's some incentivization in you dying. Then there's very clear rules to live or die by. And Squid Game really has rules. Like rules are fundamentally like the core of this twisted world. Like it's a game and there are rules and those rules matter so, so much. Even if they're messed up, there's rules. And again, I think I'll talk about more why I think the rules really matter in the spoiler section. There's elements of surprise. So the game has the twists and turns that the players and then us as viewers don't expect. And one thing is that there's games that they're playing, but they're often asked to make choices before the big games begin, not knowing how their choices are going to affect their outcome in the game. Oh, that's a good and point. And that's really stressful because like as a viewer, yeah. you're also like, what would I pick? What would I do? And then you can see how your choice would play out. It's kind of like choose your own adventure. You're like, I know right away. I was yeah. like, umbrella. Oh no, bad choice. <laughs> so, um, right. Mini spoiler. Atmosphere. You know, a good horror has a very, you know, palpable atmosphere. And look, we're going to go into this more too, but the aesthetics on the show are bananas. It's like 
you go to hell and hell is this pastel fun house. <laughs> oh my God, you're so right. Yeah, you're so right. And then I think creepy yet addictive music, check, check, check. So the theme song for this drama is amazing. And it's like this very basic drum song, almost like a child's like slapping on a plastic tub or something. And then comes this like freaking Pied Piper-ish recorder solo. <laughs> and it's like childlike and completely unnerving. But it feels like something that, yeah. like, two kids could be making, like, in their garage, basically. <laughs> right. And then showdowns. A good horror has showdowns. And we get quite a few showdowns in this drama. You know, we're in the non-spoiler section, so I'm not getting to specifics. But look, showdowns occur aplenty. There's weapons. Murdery weapons. Yep. So, I mean, check, 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 check. And just one other mm -hmm. thing that I think is, like, I want to mention in the non-spoilery section because I think it's interesting is that the creator, like the writer and director of this drama is Huang Dong Hyuk. And he has been working on this idea since like 2009, I think, um, which is around the time he wrote the original plot. Yeah. So 2008, 2009, yeah. like this has been something that he wanted to make for a long time. And he had it rejected over and over, which I mean, we're writers. And so I also think that that's, an interesting story too of somebody coming up with this idea obviously before it's time <laughs> and mm -hmm. and having like the confidence I think to keep it filed away so he went on to do plenty of other things like he did Silence which was another Gong Yu movie he's done some other shows but you know back at the time he was like a dude who was in financial trouble himself and spending lots of time in like manga cafes reading comics like battle royale and he's kind of putting himself into situations thinking like what would i do and kind of created this whole world in the story and obviously it stuck with him even though he couldn't find investment he couldn't find producers he couldn't find actors who wanted to support him and here we have netflix coming along later and wanting to take a chance and here we are so i just thought that was kind of like an interesting thing too that this story has been a long time in the making and i think it paid off agreed so normally we try to have a little bit like of a longer non-spoiler section but it's really really hard to talk about this drama without without spoiling something and, and i do I said this before i think it's best to go into this drama without knowing much at all so this is the point where we're going to start to get into spoilers so if you haven't seen it and you think you might want to uh this would be a good time to hit pause in this podcast before we get into heavy spoilers um but if you've seen squid game or have no plans to then by all means, keep listening because we are excited to dig into it. As you're thinking about if you're going to get on the off ramp or not, Megan and I both watched Game of Thrones. And I'm curious, Megan, like to me, I feel like if you could handle Game of Thrones, I think you can handle Squid Game. Basically, like I think that's what, like I feel like people have been like reaching out to us being like, is this something that I can handle? I'm like not knowing folks. I'm like, I don't know. It's not like so I don't feel like. It's mm -hmm. overtly gory. It's more like violence can happen, but it's like violence is part of like what's driving the plot. I don't know. <laughs> no, I agree. And I can think we talked about this before. It's not the goriness that gets you. It's the tension around the violence. 
again, it's it's humans doing things to other humans when you might actually sympathize with both yeah. of them. And the per- yeah, it's the personalization of the violence. And that's where, for me, in Game of Thrones, I yes. felt like you kind of get the stories of everyone, even though they're pitted against each other often. Mm-hmm. And so, and mm-hmm. like, there's a lot of morally gray characters. Yeah, there's a personalization. Correct. Correct. And I think that that's it's very similar. Yeah. And most folks are not all bad. Most folks are not all good. You know, certainly you have right. outliers who are pretty good or pretty bad, but for the most part, they're pretty gray. So I think that's it. That's like as much as like if you if you could hang yeah. with that and you want to watch this, jump off and go watch it right now. Because <laughs> when I try to say the Saul comparison, it's more hmm, it's more because I, I think of the in, in Saul the Saul franchise. They, there's games mm-hmm. and there's games where again they are making they they don't know how to beat a game or they don't know that you know they have to make choices before a game happens that kind of thing but i would say still the violence feels a whole lot less personal in saw than it did in squid game okay so now we're going to get into spoilers so here you go here's your time to click off or stay on i think the first thing is we should talk about why we think the show went viral because i wouldn't say that that the overall premise of the show was necessarily wholly unique. I mean, we've seen, I mean, there's Hunger Games, there's, again, the movies I mentioned, there's, there's been like game type shows with people competing uh, before. So what is, you know, what was it about this drama and also maybe the time that it came out in kind of the tail end maybe of COVID, if that had anything to do with it or, or what we think? So some of it is, I think that like first, you know, I know we've both talked about this um, a little bit so far in the pod, but off a lot to each other is the visual aspect of this drama, I think is a huge reason why the show has gone viral. First, let's just talk about like costume. And I think that the costuming is really interesting because you have this idea. And again, like I looked a little bit about like what the creator was saying, like when they he was helping like decide what he wanted things to look like. He wanted the tracksuits to be kind of reminiscent of like gym uniforms from like an elementary school. And so for him, it felt kind of oh, creepy, a little bit like that vibe of like what you're going to wear in like gym class to yeah. like play the game. And I thought the interesting yeah. thing with the staff members were that they were wearing like they weren't red. They were like hot pink jumpsuits. And that mm-hmm. color pink also, I think, is very like evocative of you know, kind of like something that's innocent or soft. And then they have like their faces covered, Mm -hmm. which makes them kind of more anonymous. And apparently originally that wasn't the first plan that the director wanted to go with. Originally he was thinking of having them dress more like in scout uniforms and then decided to go with this more like factory aesthetic, which I think works well for like the capitalistic ties and then having that like anonymous face but that soft pinkness and Mm. then the coffins even when the coffins come out the coffins all have bows on them to make it like playful like oh you're going in a coffin because you died but here's your little bow yeah (laughs) oh so weird yeah the visuals are just insane in this i mean and i think that that's another thing too it makes it so memeable there are memes of this drama everywhere and to be honest sometimes the memes are they're like one of the best things about this. I mean, I'm so glad I watched it and now can understand the memes, but it's just, it's the type of thing where now as soon as someone gets a glimpse of that green tracksuit or like those masks, you know, immediately what it's from It's from squid game. 
their branding is on point. And when they, uh, you know, Leah mentioned that it's like hell, if hell was a fun house, which I think is great turn of phrase, Leah, because before they enter the game, so they have like a, essentially like a big gym that is where they sleep. They have beds stacked up. When they head to the, the game arenas or whatever, they're in this like almost MC Escher like Mm-hmm. fun house with doors and you know stairs going up and down and all over the place and it's just the visuals are nuts i mean I, I remember watching this and i was almost like giddy at what i was watching because it was so visually and appealing. the colors again are like these pastel like purple and yellow yeah. doors and everything just looks like like it looks like rainbow sherbert vomited all over the stairway scenes Right. And it was so, you know, we, again, we talked about Strangers from Hell, which is a movie with Lee Dong Wook and MC Wan. And I remember that was shot completely different. So that was like, again, another psychological horror. And it was shot where almost everything was washed out. Like they, they definitely filmed with some side of filter or something like that. Or I think so. Not, I'm not a cinematographer, so I don't know, but everything was washed out. Everything was gritty, dirty, and sweaty. It was very much visually done that way. And it made sense for like a psychological horror. It reminded me kind of of, you know, the Chainsaw Massacre movies or things like that. The washed out grittiness. And so in contrast, this was bright and playful. And then all of a sudden people get shot. And it's like <laughs> there's like blood splatter. And it visually it was just crazy to watch. There's like this childlike innocence of, you know, the bunk like mm-hmm. where they're sleeping and their bunk beds mm-hmm. <laughs> really high bunk beds at the beginning because there's so many people and then you know when they're doing yeah. the honeycomb candy challenge like they're literally in a playground or like all the same everything is just yeah. very perky <laughs> yeah and that's why i said that it was like a grown-up deadly charlie in the chocolate factory because and i'm talking like the one with gene wilder or johnny depp either one take your pick um both are bright and colorful and they have these kids doing things and i mean it's a little different obviously it's not the same premise but it did remind me of that it felt like you know this mysterious organization was like charlie the chocolate factory and he's gonna pick who's gonna like take over later or something because it was just bright and colorful but yet everything was incredibly deadly. And they didn't shy away from that. That's the thing too. It was bright and colorful, but they definitely showed the violence. Like there was no shying away from people getting shot in the head, blood spraying, throat slit. You know what I mean? It was, yeah. And then they would come through in their pink little jumpsuits and wash all the blood out. And then you would go off in your black little coffin with the bow on it and either get your organs illegally harvested, which wasn't part of the game in a side hustle from some of the workers. And horrifically, you may still be alive while they're harvesting you or assaulting you. Or you're into the pits where they're like down in these like awful tunnels where they're just like burning you in these crematoriums. So again, even though we have this like brightness, it's like another layer, right? Of like the dark underbelly, even within like, yes, the brightness is all there, but that like that false kind of like happy brightness is all like the promise again of like capitalism and like, you know, all you need to do is like get ahead and try your best. And maybe you're going to be the lucky one with all the money. And meanwhile, like, you know, a couple of stories below your feet, everyone's getting like burned to a crisp in the crematoriums. (laughs) 
it's just so uh, i mean i think about the visuals of this like more than i should like i mean i do honestly think about those freaking masks and the jumpsuits and the track suits all the time yeah they're i mean halloween is gonna be lit this year <laughs> i know right what do we think about the writing choice to let all the players leave and then have some actually most choose to come back is it really a choice when both options feel like death just to describe what happens is they the first game where like a hundred people die they don't know that the games are deadly so they, they they just think they're playing a game for money and then a whole bunch of people get shot playing red light green light which is just an amazing first episode and so when they sign the contract, they all agree if they want to leave, they can if the majority votes. So after the whole red light, green light thing where tons of people died, they decide to hold a vote to see if everyone gets to leave or if, if everyone stays. And I actually didn't think about this as much until I saw someone mention on Facebook that that was basically an election type process. And it's interesting because this is a simple election of voting to stay or go, but it means it means death for, they know it means death for almost all of them. Only one person's going to win. So they all vote and they leave and they go home. But the problem is almost all these people are, are in debt or they're in some sort of extremely dire situation. Um, Sangu is kind of the, he's a little bit of the villain in, in this drama, which is um, a childhood friend of the main character, Sung Gi-hun. And He's like millions of won in debt. His like mom's house is up for collateral. I mean, he goes home and actually um, they show him in the bathtub and he is going to kill himself. And then he gets invited back to the Squid Games. And so they almost all come back because they go home and they realize that their lives aren't any better. And I, so I thought it was interesting. At first I was like, okay, so they're throwing in like sort of a consent element in this that interests me because I feel like that's not like, that's not something you get in Hunger Games they get thrown into this through lottery. But then I also started to think, but is it really a choice? Like, do they really consent? You know, I don't know. I had a lot of just, it just made me think, I guess. And I don't have any answers. So for me, it was having these rules and the importance of having rules like this one helped the creators of this feel less monstrous. So I think that in some ways, again, and yes, it is a false choice. And I think that election parallel is interesting too, because mm -hmm. if we want to get like really dark too about mm -hmm. like our current political situations, like sometimes it can. I think that the creators gave it as a way for the creators themselves to feel less. And we're saying game creators. Yeah, the game creators. Like not like the show yeah, creators. Yeah, the game. Yes, yes. The <laughs> yeah. game creators to feel. <laughs> This is a way for them to absolve themselves, essentially, of the fact that they've established like a murder game that they're going to enjoy and bet <laughs> on. And right. rather than feel like, you know, they force folks into it, they can be like, look, they could have chosen to leave and they didn't. We gave you a choice. And I think that at one point there's a quote that um, one of the gaming officials says where he says all participants in the game are equal. We are giving people who have suffered mm. unequal treatment and discrimination in the outside world the last chance to win a fair competition. And I think this is really interesting, too, because the game creators are kind of like titans of industry. They're like bankers. Like they're the folks who are like pulling the strings and running the show in the real world. So you're either mm -hmm. voting to go back mm -hmm. out into the real world 
where the dice was stacked against you and you're losing at that game Mm -hmm. to the point that like, yeah, like basically Mm -hmm. life isn't worth living or you're going to come into the game (laughs) where they're also pulling the strings. They're pulling the strings in both places, the same people. They're just pulling them more Mm -hmm. overtly Mm -hmm. in the squid game. Mm -hmm. That's a really interesting point too. In the show at the beginning too, I felt like, because you said only one person can live. And I think, yes, obviously that was like the intent. But I don't think that the characters knew, because I feel like how they kind of sold it too, was the more people who die, the more money is going to be in the pot for everyone else. But I do think that there was enough prom. I think if they had been like, hey, and only one of you is going to get it, I think more people would have opted out. I think they left it purposely vague so that you could still see yourself mm. as potentially a winner. You're right. They did leave that vague. Once you get to the end, you realize that they set up the games that only one person can win. Yeah, and it becomes pretty obvious. But I don't think it was clear until we were at the challenge where it was the glass, like where you had to jump on the glass and it was like the tempered glass or the glass glass and they had to cross the path. I felt like by mm-hmm. the end of that, I'm like, okay, there's mm-hmm. only there's only going to be one person coming out of this. <laughs> right. So I guess we can talk about Sung Gi-hun here a little bit. So he's the main character. And when you first meet him, he's not really sympathetic. I mean, he basically like steals his mom's money. He gambles with it. He's a less than stellar dad, I would say. So I was watching an interview with uh, some of the cast members and the director and the art director. And so the actor who plays the main character is Lee Jung-jae. And he expressed concern that his character wasn't sympathetic enough <laughs> in the beginning. So they did put in, at the uh, in the first episode, before the squid game happens, they put in a scene where he's feeding a stray cat. So he doesn't have a lot of money. He gets like a fish and he sees a stray cat. And so he feeds the the stray cat like a, like a fish head. And I found it so interesting that they did that because i've actually tweeted about this from the afternoon of delight podcast twitter account that that is that is a very common plot device to make the audience sympathetic to a character whether in a movie or a book or anything is that you give him or her or whoever something vulnerable to care for and it just struck me as oh my gosh like that's just such a basic plot device but it works all the time I don't know that it made me super sympathetic to him at the very beginning because I think there was a lot stacked against him at the beginning. And I don't think they needed to make him sympathetic at the beginning, to be honest. I really didn't. You know, I kind of like that they didn't present to us this like selfless son and amazing father down on his luck and then enters the switch. I'm kind of glad they gave us a very flawed character. He was a flawed man. Uh, and he was a flawed man throughout the drama. I do think he had an arc, and I think he he learned a lot, but I still think in the end he was still very flawed. I felt more sympathetic to him as we got to know him in the game. They could have saved putting the cat in because it did nothing for me. But I felt like he, they talked about how he had had a job in an auto plant and he lost his job and he was part of the strike that was like trying to protest being fired from like a good paying job. And then a coworker was murdered at the strike and kind of how that led to his downfall. He could just never overcome that loss. Look, I grew up in like the Rust Belt of the Midwest and these are not uncommon stories. Like I grew up outside of Detroit where all the car places were and like that promise of 
bright futures that were linked to, you know, the automobile industry. And again, like it just comes back to like this whole like fuck capitalism of I feel like he ended up the way he was in many ways because the promise that he'd been like given of like working hard and having this job, et cetera, et cetera, like that was all taken away from him. And he then kind of like spiraled out. And while he made choices that were sad and hard to watch and plenty of people don't make such kind of like selfish choices and like are better, you know, don't like gamble at horse racing and whatever. A lot of people do. And it's because once you start to feel like you're losing all your agency and all of your pride like it just becomes this like slide and you're kind of like that cat sliding down the curtains, like, you know, and you just can't get back up. And so that makes me sympathetic to him overall, even though like, I feel like, yeah, he obviously like didn't help himself in many of those choices. I mean, I'm not like an Ayn Rand fan. So I would say that this feels like, you know, society set him up to fail. Yeah, I like that backstory. Not that I liked it, but um, I did think that that backstory made him more sympathetic. And I think his choices throughout the game made him more sympathetic rather than them just like trying to like force feed me. You know what I mean? Like, let me grow with mm-hmm. the character, I guess, a little bit. So I do want to talk about Sangu because I found this really interesting. Again, I watched an interview with the actors and... So Sangu is Sung Hun's childhood friend, uh, but he kind of, I think, is a little bit known as the one who like made it big from their like smaller town. He went to Seoul National University, as we hear a hundred times in the show. <laughs> oh my god. SNU. SNU is a, a huge deal. Yeah. Sengu is played by Park Hesu, who is very attractive. I really found his character extremely interesting because he was kind of the villain. And I love that he was kind of a complicated villain i think he made the choices he did because he was you know he was trying he didn't want his mom to lose her her shop and home even though you know it was his he was kind of the reason anyway because he put her home up for collateral shitty guy but like you know i don't know i thought he was interesting so anyway so when i watched this interview he talked about the scene where he gives ali money so we all love ali ali's like one of the breakout stars of the drama he is um in the drama he's like a pakistani immigrant and he's like got like a heart of gold like he's just a really good guy and doesn't have a lot of money like everyone so there's a scene where obviously they've so they've been in the squid game for that one game and then they all go home i'm sorry it's ollie sorry i think it's part of like my pennsylvania accent that i like cannot say that properly ollie okay so so ollie has no money and he's going to walk home and Sangu, who again, who also has no money, but he considers himself an elite. And again, the actor said this in, in the interview. So this isn't like me just making this up. So he still considers himself above Ali. So he gives him money for a bus to get home. And so in the interview, the actor was saying that an audience member might think, oh, oh, so that's showing that Sangu actually does have some humanity in him. But the actor, you know, I think that might be like maybe a nuance, too, of Korean um, culture and Korean society that maybe not the average viewer. And I certainly didn't pick up on that. I thought they were trying to humanize Sangu. And uh, but the actor's like, no, it was actually like, again, Sangu's like not willing to like let go, even though he's no longer really an elite because he kind of ruined his life. He still felt like he had some power over Ali and he needed to show that power. 
Like he still needed to be like, I'm better than you because I have bus money and you don't. You know what I mean? I thought that was a, an interesting take on that scene because that's not how I saw it. Yeah, I didn't see it that way either. However, I think it's totally valid. And I can see how like, yeah, given the culture that you're in, potentially you're going to like catch that nuance that we like, you know, we did not. Mm-hmm. And I think it also even like being like watching it from an American lens where I thought maybe it was him like assuming maybe that he like the better intention of him. This is a character who really plays their cards close to their chest, like mm-hmm. the entire drama. And so also yeah. I just think that like, yeah, that really like fits within, you know, this was a character who had much more unpredictable motivation. Like I think that Ji-Hu was like very much more like heart on his sleeve and you really kind of like knew where he was at any given time. Like his emotional state was like visible for everyone to see. Whereas Sangu, he was much more of a cipher and his motivations as such then were harder to read. And then it let you basically be able to project what you thought on him. And I think that that happened to Ali as well to his death. Because he's like, of course, this person is like kind and he's looking out for me and I'm looking at like face value. And then that wasn't like, you know, he completely misread the character as well. Like not just us. Right. And and so I think that that's fun, too, in some ways, is that, you know, the character was like making choices that were very intentional to the character. And so hearing the actor be like, yeah, look, that was just like the character being very much just like who he was which was for him it was a social status thing Mm -hmm. whereas like Ali was being more like Ali was one of the very few people in this game who was like just a good person yeah and so we very relatable to us the audience too and he was very trusting and so you know as he's like trusting him I felt like I was trusting Sangu too until you were like oh god Sangu is not the person to be trusting like (sighs) so speaking of especially Ali and his relationship with Sengu and stuff. I think we should talk a little bit about the subtitle thing. So first of all, we are not fluent in Korean. So I, and I did see plenty of people who can speak Korean commenting on the accurateness of the subtitles. But as just someone who casually watches K-dramas, there are obviously were times where I was like, okay, this is, this is not matching up. And also it's losing the nuance of, of things. One of my biggest issues was when Han Min-yo talks to the the gangster character and she calls him opa and i could hear it like i knew that's what she was saying and clearly there's an understanding where she's trying to ingratiate herself to him she's kind of trying to flirt with him that's that's the whole point she wants protection and she sees him as kind of the strongest there and the translation keeps translating it to old man and it kind of drove me a little crazy because I mean, I guess maybe that's like a direct translation because it's kind of like an older brother type figure, but that's not what she was saying. She wasn't calling him an old man. She was definitely trying to to do something with, with calling him Opa. And another thing too is that obviously when they use the word young, you know, older brother, which is also just like kind of like a, also like an older friend type term, um, they never translated it that way. And I thought that that was interesting too because it means a lot, especially Ali says that to Sangu and especially when they're playing the whole the whole marble episode which is when the two are pitted against each other and he calls him Hyung numerous times and even right before he's about to get shot he kind of says like Hyung and it's like you know 
god it was so hard you know he's like you're my friend you're like i thought you know they had established enough of a relationship that they could call each other that and that was hard and i kind of was because i was again i watched it with my husband so i was kind of trying to explain to him like why that mattered why it mattered when they called each other young and and even when duck sue is learning that like his man has betrayed him you know the gangster character because obviously his mm-hmm. underling is calling him boss. Then all of a sudden he switches and he calls him Duxu. And that's when Duxu knew, oh shit, he betrayed me because he's not he's not showing me the proper respect by calling him boss. And that's when he like, you know, jumped off the bridge and ran away. So I don't know. That kind of it bugged me, but I'm that's also when I was really glad that I had some K drama knowledge under my belt. You know what I mean? Because when she would be like, Opa, I'm like, okay, I see what she's trying to do. And by the way, I loved her character. I thought she was fantastic. And it's funny because she's actually older than him. I think she was meant to be older than him on the drama as well. And she's older than him in real life. Oh, okay. I, I thought she was So great. I thought it was actually like even more like funny and flirty. But yeah, right. no, she was a really interesting and manipulative woman. And so I really enjoyed her character as well. So I think we need to talk about the English speaking VIPs. <laughs> I think we got to get that out of the way. So... Let me explain. So anyone who has watched a decent amount of K-dramas knows that anytime there's like an English speaking, um, usually Caucasian character, they're just kind of terrible actors. All right. Just I'm, I'm, and I'm sorry, but it's just, you know, if you've seen Run On or Airs or anything like that, you got some, I'm not a robot. <laughs> you got some terrible English speaking actors. And so I'm sort of used to that. So when I saw, I right away, I knew that they, you know, these VIPs, which, you know, they came in to watch the games live. They're betting on who can win or lose. Blah, 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 blah. And my husband literally just like, I saw his like whole body stiffen. And he like turns and looks at me and he's like, who are, who are these people? Why are they talking like this? Why are they terrible actors? And I was like, oh, well, you know, kind of a k-drama thing and he's like he was like i don't understand because i mean everyone else is fantastic like he was really into it he was loving it and they bring in these guys and he said he thought they sounded like the cutscenes of video games which i don't disagree with he's right and i saw a lot of people talking about that on social media and stuff as well and i don't know i guess i guess again i i'm like kind of used to it so i sort of didn't even it didn't even really phase me so okay yeah i've got some thoughts on it and i think that like Okay, so one is obviously when they're looking to cast a bunch of like white English speaking fat cats, basically, yeah. and like literally fat cats. Yeah, they were in yeah. terms of like they were wearing like animal, like gold animal masks, and just kind of like the scene is kind of like the most gluttonous, like smug. Oh, they had women that were their bodies were painted and they were like kneeling as like footstools i mean it was way over the top the visuals yeah. of that scene was they were basically like sitting on sitting on painted women <laughs> it was so weird it was so weird and demanding sexual services from folks while they're like watching their murder show and so these were the vips yeah. And so, so one thing that i think is interesting is that the filmmaker wang dong hyuk he apparently attended film school at um, USC in LA. And so I think that's interesting because in many ways I'd be like, well, obviously if English isn't like your native language, like I'm curious how many shows have we watched where folks are speaking in like another language and we're watching like, yeah, this just checks out. Like we don't know what's happening. And somebody who's like of that like language or culture is like, "Uh uh-uh, like absolutely not. Like you've got like somebody who's trying to speak like, Japanese and they've got somebody right. from like you know 
Cambodia there. So, you know, who knows what? And so, yeah. like, we're not jarred at all, but, like, they are. Right. But in this case, like, I would think that he is probably more familiar with natural speech patterns. So, I mean, yeah, I do have a question, but I do think that part of the fact that they were just so horrible, horrible acting and just, like, as characters themselves... Mm-hmm. I mean, it. I can see how it graded on Neil. Absolutely. Because mm-hmm. it was what he said was it was jarring. That's the word he used. He said it was just jarring to go from, again, the incredible acting that was happening to these guys, which I so that's that's how he described it. Yeah. And I will say here's one other thing, too, that like, I guess this is like maybe one of my only real like quibbles. I'm okay with the fact that there was like horrible acting and that the writing was very bad. And that could have been very intentional just to have it be like so over the top and cartoonish. Right. Like it did pull me out of the drama a little, but I was okay. Right. But I am going to give a little bit of a wag of the finger that we also have to have the evil VIP have like homosexual tendencies basically. And then like, I was like, really, are we going to get into that? I thought that felt unnecessary to me. The evil gay man, basically. Yeah, basically, like, I'm so depraved that, of course, I'm gay, too. And I want to, like, go and, like, have this guy, like, do me, or I'm going to do him, and then kill him. And it was like, and I was like, really? Like, I kind of felt like we didn't need to go there. I completely agree with you. I didn't like that either. I Because it did. It felt like, yeah, it did. It felt like, of course, he's, like, depraved and gay. Like, you know, which is no yeah. like we don't need to go there i completely agree i feel like we needed a, a way to get the police officer like alone with one of them and i guess i just felt like could have been a different a different way i get i mean i see how the choice was made but it could have been a smarter choice i completely agree with you no i thought the exact same thing as i was watching it i was like a little i was uncomfortable yeah i did see a couple comments too like some people i think thought the over the top like dialogue and cheesiness was intentional of the vips Mm -hmm. um and so i could kind of see that too and you know because they're meant to be i mean they weren't meant to have dimensions like they were clearly meant to be just like again like evil fat cats commenting not caring essentially treating the people like horses betting on horses like you're betting on a horse race and but I personally, I'm going to say I found it jarring, like my sense on if I could like sit down with the creator of the show is that like, even if that was intentional, I think since everything else was done with so much nuance and interest, right. even if these characters were going to be kind of more one note, it felt like all of a sudden we were in like, what was like the very first Batman you know with like Michael Keaton (laughs) and it's almost like a cartoonish right like the tone shifted so hard with that those scenes Mm -hmm. that it pulled me out of the drama and reminded me oh yeah I'm just watching a show right (laughs) Uh, yeah yeah and I think I think that's what Neil said the same thing so actually I want to say I need to say that Neil guessed two things and I want to tell you what he guessed because this is crazy to me so anytime we watch shows Neil always predicts things and it pisses me off. Like it straight up makes me angry because I'm like, how are you predicting these things? So one of the games was tug of war. They had to separate into teams of 10, but they did not know what game they were playing. And it was kind of, you know, this whole thing where one women and it was, it was kind of, you know, a big scene where they're choosing 10 people, even though they didn't know what game they're playing. And I think I might've said out loud, like, I wonder what they're playing. And before they even get to like the game arena, Neil's like, I think they're doing tug of war. And I was like, what? why he's like they're in teams of 10 and i was like okay sure enough they go into tug of war and i'm like how did you but that that was kind of minor i was like okay fine that you predicted that i'll let that one slide and then 
the scene where, okay, I mean, we can talk a little bit about the whole cop thing. So there's a character named Huang Junho, played by Wee Ha Jun, who is freaking beautiful. That guy, go to his Instagram because he's insane looking. Uh, so he's looking for his brother and he thinks his brother has been a contestant. And he's the one who the VIP tries to like sexually harass and he ends up getting away. And so he leaves the island where this the game is being played with his diving equipment and he's on this other island. And he's running away from the like squid game men along with who they call the front man, which is essentially this guy wearing like all gray and he's got like a different type of mask with this like gray mask on. And so he's like running up this mountain and I look at my husband and I said, so what do you think? Do you think, do you think the cop's going to live or die? Like, what do you, what do you think's going to, which then I felt like the VIP, like literally I am the VIP. Is this guy going to live or die? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, and I think that's the thing, like the VIPs are kind of supposed to mimic us, but whatever. Anyway. And Neil's like, I don't know, but I think the front man is his brother. And I was like, what? How? Why do you think that? And he's like, well, you know. I don't know. I just, I just have a hunch. And his reaction when he found his brother's ID, because his brother's, his brother has left his ID on like a dead guard. And I was like, his reaction. I was like, he's wearing a mask. What do you mean his reaction? You didn't have a reaction. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> and then sure enough, he takes off the freaking mask and he's the brother. And I was like, are you shitting me that you guessed that? So I'll just, I was, <laughs> so I will say though, when it got to the very end, like major major spoiler right here okay so when it got to the very end and it turns out that the the old man was behind it all i was like did you guess that did you guess that and he's like no <laughs> i was so happy that he didn't guess <laughs> i was like you just better not have predicted that whose death hit you the hardest i think that hmm okay i think i know whose death well okay there's a i don't know like it's hard to say just I know. one it's our podcast. You can say more than one. I know, I know, but it is good to like, you know, make the right. rules and live and die by the rules. Oh man. Okay. I'm going to go with, I have three that come to mind out of the gate and I think they're like everyone's probably main three. So I don't want to like take one that could be yours too. So, okay. I am going to say we've already talked about Ali. So even though his death hit me hard, I'm going to skip him. And I am going to say that the death that hit me the hardest is Ji Young, played by Lee Yumi. And that was the woman who had just been released from prison after killing her her abusive father, who had, it sounds like, sexually abused her and physically abused her mother. And she kind of really just shines mostly in like the Marble episode. But I felt like for such a short amount of time, she left a huge impression on me. So she pairs up for the Marble Gang with Sebyuk, who's the North Korean defector who is in the game trying to pay for a broker to find and retrieve her mom, who is still across the border. And she has a little brother who's in an orphanage in South Korea. And in the Marble Game, I thought what was really interesting about the Marble Game, and this is like where, again, like we see in the games, like you're making choices, not knowing what the outcome's going right. to be. And so in the Marble Game, they're like, you need to find your partner. And I, this was one where I was like predicting, I was like, oh no, this isn't going to be good. I was like, you're going to like kill your oh, partner. Oh, see, I did not. I was like, yeah, choose a strong partner. That's what you want to do, right? 
Yeah, I was like, oh no, it's gonna be like kill the partner. Yeah. And so and so yeah, I was getting really worried because I felt like everybody who was paired, I'm like, oh, these are all gonna hurt. Yeah. And then when you find out it was like, ugh. And so in her case, I felt like I really liked how everyone else is playing the game and just freaking the f out like yeah you know people are getting shot people are like trying to fit turning on each other there was the husband and wife even who like you know played against each other and the wife died and in these two women's cases they both were like let's just sit and talk yeah and i just felt like it was this really powerful humanizing moment where like they both just sit down in this like mock setting of like a neighborhood and death is happening all around them and they just spend the hour of the game talking about themselves their lives how they got to where they were and the north korean character is very reserved and this is like one of the first times she's able to open up and actually have like a human connection with someone and then at the very end what they decide was we're just going to do one move and whoever like wins this one move like we're going to throw the marble and whatever marble gets closest to the wall that will be the person so she goes and then you see this character ji young goes to throw her marble and she just drops it at her feet and basically sacrifices herself hoping that her new friend is going basically it's like i have nothing to live for and you do like you have a brother you have a mom like you have a purpose and so you know between the two of us you go and like i hope you get to jeju island which obviously is her dream which is like another k-drama cliche that i love and that's it. And the other character gets so upset and is like, no, like you have mm-hmm. to like try. And she was just like, this was her choice. Like she's just like, yeah. no, like I'm at peace with this. Go for it. And I felt like that was just like, a nut again, like when you're thinking that this is something that is ultimately constructed for the entertainment of the elite mm-hmm. to see this like inherent goodness and humanity happening at these times of like such Like, it was one of the only times I felt like we really saw somebody make a choice that was, like, fundamentally what I think we would all say is, like, a human value, like, an altruistic motivation. So that really, that got me. So that was the only time I cried. Uh, I didn't cry hard, but I definitely Mm. cried. And the acting in that scene? So Lee Lee Umi plays Jiang. So her acting in that scene, she says, like, thank you. And she kind of chokes up. And then she says for playing with me oh it it oh, fucking kills me i mean i uh i've i've actually have watched kind of that little snippet of scene a couple times because i just i've alternately liked it and hated it because i hated that she had to make the choice but yeah i love it and i i saw like i think a comment somewhere that was like in my mind they're both in jeju island like drinking their like drinks or whatever mm. like their margaritas or whatever they talked about and i agree i did i really liked that scene so I would say the death of Sebyuk, I didn't think she was going to live. So I don't know why. I just, I did think she was going to die, but I would say when she died, I was very surprised. I didn't expect it. Um, so she had been like cut with glass on her stomach and was bleeding like very badly. And Gi-hun like notices it and he tries to go get help for her. But when he turned his back, Sangu with his steak knife stabs her in the neck and kills her. I would say that death surprised me the most. I really didn't think that that's how she was going to die. But I was also glad. Like, I was really glad that we didn't have to see her, I don't know, fall to her death and get, like, her skull smashed open. Like, I was really glad 
Did that make sense? Like, I felt like the see, I felt like it did her dirty in that, like, she was such a strong character and she was dying. And I felt like I was invested enough in her that I wanted to see her death. Like, the fact she was dead, like, the fact that we don't even get to see her die. She's just like, I got the Mm. panic, but I was also like, clearly no one's coming to save the person. You idiot. (laughs) Like this whole, you're in the point of the game, which is like her dying. And then like, he turns around like, (laughs) like she's dead. I was like, Oh my God. (laughs) Well, when the doors opened and like the, you know, the guards came out, I was like, Oh, and then all of a sudden they parted and that and at the box with, with the, the coffin with the ribbon the on it yeah. the coffin essentially i was like oh fuck and then i felt like i felt like i was gihoon in that moment like panning around yeah and then just seeing like sangu standing there yeah i i, I see what you're saying because you kind of wanted her to have i get it i get what you're saying too yeah like maybe yeah i don't know what kind of death i mean i get like if i'm thinking about why they wrote it that way and plotted it i get it too i just felt like in the end they kind of made her like the incidental to the final showdown which was going to be like that whole like sangu showdown that had to happen at the end and i felt like she was such a great character but i'm also wondering if she became like a surprise hit because the other thing is this actress this is her first drama ever (laughs) it's crazy and she's so so good yeah so Jung Ho Yun, she's, you know, a big time model, you know, hangs with crew, has like, you know, a famous K drama actor boyfriend, is like, I think super good friends with Jenny from Blackpink. Yeah, Jenny from Blackpink. And so she's kind of like an it girl. But I mean, like, she played this character to a fiddle. Like, just like she was amazing in this role. Right. And I've seen some interviews with her, and she's super smiley, super bubbly, very charismatic and charming. And she's not at all like this character. Yes, yeah, I've seen nothing. I only think of her. <laughs> oh my gosh. I only think of her as this person. Oh my gosh. Visually, she's almost not the same person. So I saw this interview with her where, so she's sitting on a chair and they're interviewing her. And I think they like ask her, I don't think the subtitles were on this. So I wasn't sure what they were saying to her, but I think they asked her to just like look like her character for a moment. So she kind of like giggles because, you know, she's a little like shy about it. And then she spreads her legs, you know, kind of like man spreading on her chair. And she Mm -hmm. hunches over with her forearms on her legs and she puts her head down because she's still sort of smiling. She puts her head down. Mm -hmm. And then when she looks back up, she is Sabiuk. Like all of a sudden her face transformed and she gave you that like stare. And everyone's like, oh, my God. And she's like, and then she starts smiling again. I'm like, what was that? Yeah, I just, I'm so excited to see more from both those actresses, but especially her. I mean, she really owned that character. And so I think that could have been it too, was just since she played that character, I think it was an interesting character. And I can see why the character was written to end the way they did. But sometimes I think what's different in that, like when you're bringing something to life, not just in a book necessarily, you've got to contend with like, what is that person going to do with the role? And I think she was so transformational in the role. That's why I kind of felt like it did her dirty because she was just so amazing that like, I wanted something kind of like more interesting for her. But um, I do really want to just ask like, how did you feel? I was satisfied with how Sangu went out. I mean, it felt like a total waste of space considering everything that happened, but I thought that that was a good ending for him. I thought it was a good ending for him, too. They're playing, the last game is obviously Squid Game, and it's the two of them, Sangu and Gihun. 
and they're just brawling like just an out and out brawl in the rain and Gihun has the option to just like completely stab Sangu and instead he like stabs the, with, with this like steak knife instead he stabs like the sand next to his head and is like I'm not gonna I'm not even gonna step in like the squid head or whatever to win the game I'm just I'm not I'm not gonna do it and um, Sangu knows in order for someone to win one person has to die and I see him like I know he's gonna go for the knife and I was like oh no he's gonna stab Gihun and then he stabs himself in the neck and I did think it was a fitting end because he knows, I think he knew that Gihun would take care of his mom because that's what he said. He's like, take care mm-hmm. of my mother with the money. I think it was like he, part of me feels like Sangu knew that he went too far, maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, that's obviously me completely inferring. There's no, I wouldn't say there's any like reference clues for that. But in my world, like in my mind, Sangu knew he went too far and he knew he lost his humanity. And he knew that even if he won, he wouldn't ever recover, I guess I would say. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, he was somebody who definitely went into this probably assuming that they were smarter than everyone and that they were going to find a way to play the game. And when we watch these like shows, these like survivor-ish shows, there's often folks like this that like get into it Mm -hmm. and sometimes they do go a little too far. And in this case, like this guy went into like the heart of darkness (laughs) <laughs> and like you know that what's that what's the last like words of the heart of darkness are like the horror the horror and that's like right. what he found in yeah his own heart of darkness and just as a quick aside you know when he's like you know take care of my mom there was a lot writing on Gihun when he left to like take care of a whole bunch of people like the brother in the orphanage oh my god when they're like one year later, I'm like, this kid has been in the orphanage for a year while well, you just kind of yeah. like sad. You drifted? Been sad? Oh, yeah. Gihun was <laughs> I a was mess. like, oh, God, no. Gihun. I was like, come on. Gihun still wasn't like a great person. Like, this didn't change him into like this great person. Like, it made it worse. But then part of me is kind of like, you would have complete PTSD. Like, there's no way you would be able to function normally. No, but if I came out, I. <laughs> I gotta get money to the kid. <laughs> <laughs> At least take the kid out of the orphanage. At least. Like, bare minimum. Can you please do that? Yeah. And not worry about dyeing your hair red. Well, he did the hair at least when he was on the up and up. And I have questions about that, too. Nick was like, what's the significance of the hair color? I need to know. And then I saw some people be like, oh, does that mean? Because, you know, at the end, he's still a deadbeat dad who's like, I'm not going to go see my kid. I'm going to, like, go do something with the, you know, squid game. But wait. His hair was a lot like the jumpsuit color. That's see, that's what I saw people say, oh, but I'm like, okay. that feels like a leap too far. To but me. why else would you do it? And how did they get the actor to like even do? I mean, I'm sure it's a wig, but like, how in the world did they get do him like that horrible? And it would like was not flattering to his skin tone. Oh, I was like, not at all. Boy, why? It was a. It was horrible. What blew my mind is what a good looking guy he is, like in real life, because he was not a good looking guy on the show. No, they made him look really like drawn and puffy and like dark eye circles like I yeah. doofus oh in he real was life he's, yeah in real life he's great so we we mentioned jung ho yun i want to mention again we jahoon who played the cop so he's really been kind of like a, <laughs> a huge breakout um i think he had i mean his like instagram is like exploding and the thing is the guy understands the assignment like he knows <laughs> He, uh, he must have he's got to be working with some sort of PR firm or his agency they're like strike while the iron's hot so he's posting multiple thirst traps 
is basically like I'm going to get a million new followers for every pack on my like 12 pack that I'm showing. Oh yeah. You. So he's posting multiple thirst trap, like he posted like a dance cover, like the man knows what he's doing. So I hope he gets some sort of breakout role. I I mean, I know he he's been in other stuff. Like he was in a movie. I saw an interview with him. He's he was in that, I think 18 again. Is that the correct drama name? But anyway, he was in something in the rain that I watched, which oh yeah, I yeah, liked, yeah. You like said the that. first half and the found the second half to be garbage fire, but he was like the little brother who's the best friend because it was like a Nuna romance, right? And so yeah. he's like the oh, yeah, studious yeah. younger brother. And he was a hottie in it, although he never, ever revealed what he was working with under his student hoodies. <laughs> oh, my God. He is something else. And jacked. Well, I saw him on. So Jesse had him on, uh, you know, the the K-pop uh, star we all love. And she's, she has a show called Choderview, which we've mentioned on here before. So he was on there promoting um, a recent movie. And I think it came out in 2020. Like, he, so he's on the show and you can tell jesse is like shocked at how attractive he is like she visibly like reacts to his like attractiveness and he like stands up in front of her and, and her and the co-host are like look at his back i mean he is like jack during this interview but i really adore him and i thought he played his role really well and i think it was really neat because i i watched again an interview where they said that originally they never intended to have someone in his role like that wasn't a role that was there it was just going to be about the contestants i think that's when it was going to be a movie because i think originally this was supposed to be a movie so they were just going to do like the games and it was you know in point of view of the contestants turned into a drama you know they, there was like more plot points available and things so they had his character and i thought it was really interesting that we could see the lives of the workers as well and also do you think he's dead no of course he's not dead you're not dead if Thank you don't you. see the okay. body. But here's the thing that I think is making me crazy is, I mm -hmm. mean, it's set up to me at the end that I'm like, obviously, I don't know where they're going with it, but like this felt very sequel bait at the very end. Like oh, I thought it totally. was going to just finish. I thought it was just finishing. But then like, I was like, oh, well, you know, he did fall off the cliff. I don't think he's dead. If you don't see a body, they're not dead. And you know, then we have like Jihoon at the end, like being like, I'm not going to go see my kid. I'm going to be a bad dad yet again and like run back to figure <laughs> out stuff with the game. Right. And so I'm like, yeah, okay. Like another squid game. Like, okay, cool. Then to come out that the creator is like, actually, I'm really exhausted and I don't really have any other ideas for this. And I'm like, wait, 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 wait. Like, right. Hang on a sec. I saw him be like, if I could get a writer's room together and like have some help, then like, yeah, maybe. And I was like, Bra. excuse me like you're sitting right here. i understand the assignment i understand yeah. the assignment i am here to help you write a satisfactory look we have been right. in a dystopian hell in america for like right i don't know i mean like a long time now and so hire I'm, us i'm ready yeah let's yeah. get this out like hit while the iron is hot this is not time to take a creative break this is time right. to jump in 2023 squid game 2 yeah. comes out and megan and leah are here right and like <laughs> learn from we jahoon who is clearly understanding the assignment and striking why the iron is hot with his six pack well or well 12 pack or 24 pack i mean whatever but yeah hire us the afternoonas are available yeah look hong dong yuk i can go dark i can go fucked up <laughs> you know i can give you some like 
more three-dimensional villain fat cats who are not going to have like problematic homophobic like leanings like let's do this and let's do it right my friend yeah the <laughs> afternoons are available for hire and we are good okay i mean have you listened to our second male lead sos's we are good yeah let me write you a sales pitch if you don't believe me i'm here i'm here if you're tired you know what let's go to jeju you have like some mojitos by the pool you've earned it at this point and yeah. like put me to work I'll be in the messy with the messy bun writing away with the messy bun. Right. Do you think they had <laughs> any idea it would be like this? Like, I feel like there's no way anyone could predict this level of success. Right. I don't think that they would have predicted this level. I think that they would have had like a good idea that like, you know, I think game it fine dystopia. This feels like a good moment for that right now. And I think that like, mm -hmm. you know, we are seeing like Alice in Borderlands like has had some success and, right. you know, there's like been Battle Royale. There's been some other like adjacent things. And then obviously, you know, there's like the Hunger Games franchise and Parasite, I think, is a good comp to this. And Parasite did well. I mean, like it won an Oscar, but like, I don't feel like everyone was like, oh my God, I'm talking about Parasite like everywhere I go or anything like this. Where, so right. no, I don't think that they knew that they were sitting on like a viral hit that is potentially like the biggest Netflix hit. And I'm really curious to see what does this mean for non-American media in general now like are we going to be able to like finally say like let's really like more intentionally even beyond like the uk like look to see like what what creativity is out there and right. you know we've got audiences that are just hungry for a good story well told and again like the subtitling the more i think that people can get on board with enjoying a show with subtitles I really do believe that that is like the key is, you know, just beginning right? to like understand that there is like so much entertainment out there that is like so amazing. Well, I mean, that's the thing. I, I think I've said before on this podcast, I really bad hearing. So I honestly cannot pick up on a lot of things. Like even if people have like slight accents, like I said, I watch Peaky Blinders, which I do love. Um, I have to watch the whole thing on subtitles. I don't know who can watch Peaky Blinders <laughs> unless you're like, from the UK and that certain area or whatever, but I don't know who can watch that without subtitles. But so I'm sort of used to watching with subtitles. So it doesn't really fade. It, it never fades me when I started watching this. And I really feel like it, it is the time as well. Cause I know one thing is money heist was really, really huge on Netflix. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously that was either dubbed or subtitled. I feel like that was like an introduction to some of the Netflix viewers and mm -hmm. I mean, K-pop is getting huge now more so. And I just feel like this almost seemed like a perfect storm of like the subject, the fact that we're getting to be more open to foreign entertainment and just also, I think, Korea in general. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's like a weird, perfect storm. And I'm happy because I think it's getting a lot of people in. I think it's not even just about K-dramas. Like, I do think it's gotten people interested in, oh, well, what are like other countries putting out? And I'm just going to go back to like, there is a universal, like, I don't know. I'm not trying, I'm not like, I'm not even like a communist either. Like if anything, I'm like probably like more of like a social Democrat, but like, I think that there is a false promise. I mean, like to capitalism yeah. that is resonant that we're seeing happen throughout like countries. And that is one thing that I saw happen to a squid game was that the creator also acknowledging that even in their society like in the last 10 years like there's now like much more like household debt is at a much higher level now 
and like people having like loan issues and things like that. And we certainly see that like that is like the plight of the millennial is, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) basically like Mm -hmm. coming into adulthood at a time of like mass recession, then just like being hit with the punches. The dice is stacked Mm -hmm. against so many people that like, I guess I'm just curious to see like, I feel like that would be like, this is my pitch for like Squid Game 2 and why I should be on Jeju Island with the messy bun writing. Is that like, I think where, where does the story go from here? Where the story goes from here is the beginning of the subterfuge and the revolution. And so like the Empire Strikes Back moment where you begin to like look Mm -hmm. to try to dismantle the systems. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like what Hunger Games was too. That's, it's like Mm -hmm. then the, 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 that essentially that was like the revolution then started. I agree. But I think it's interesting that this isn't some sort of fantasy world or even dystopian. I mean, this was meant to be present day Korea, you know? And I think the horror of it to me is, I mean, like, yes, it feels far-fetched and it feels totally plausible to me that like, look, and this is where I'm like, I believe that there is no secret plot within like the vaccination movement or 5G against humanity but I do believe it is plausible that we could see Billy. Like, I mean, okay, this is like, I'm going to end it here. But like, we have a world on fire, literally. And we have billionaires jetting off in like phallus looking rockets <laughs> to space. And oh we're beginning to move into that time of science fiction of like, are we going to be in this planet that is like devolving in chaos and like mass crises just spiraling? And then we're going to have these elites who essentially have created this problem and have profited off of it are going to mm-hmm. kind of be watching us all in like the coming century to two centuries. And so is that hitting on yeah. like the nerve? Yes, but it feels very much like this is i feel like this is also very much why it's hitting the nerve and so this is me like on lefty college campus political talk now but that's where i'm at yeah no but i don't i don't disagree i just think i'm not good at articulating that like that's just me uh and i'm definitely like no economist so i'm kind of the type of person that i like hearing other people kind of really get into the nitty-gritty which is what you do and so i like hearing that perspective and i don't i don't disagree i just do think it's fascinating to me that this is resonating with like literally every country like literally all these people i think this is wild yeah so maybe i should have put that more at the beginning but i had to like go through my therapy session of the podcast (laughs) to be like we're collectively getting fucked and we're all resonating with this and 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 the thing is too like covid happened to everyone you know except like new zealand covid happened (laughs) because they like shut their country down they had like one one case or something but i just mean like it happened to everyone there's just something about squid game we're just all able to like relate to it yeah and i think that like high irony is like jeff bezos sent out like a congratulatory tweet and i'm like that if things could have gotten more meta like there we go like if somebody was gonna have like the gold helmet and like be like fucking running around like watching the world burn it's jeff bezos jeff bezos wearing like a leopard a gold leopard mask in the VIP. sitting on some humans while he's talking about a stupid rocket oh man it's crazy have you seen the time because we're at an hour 37 and you're supposed to edit this for in two days <laughs> so this is the thing if amy isn't here with us this is what happens
this is exactly what yeah. happens i knew it was gonna happen and that's okay <laughs> we had fun we watched it quickly and decided to record this pod and get it out as soon as we could because this is what everyone's talking about i mean i will say that if you watch squid game look into the commentary from the director and the actors there's also you know some amazing people doing podcasts about it that are probably like economists and experts on white supremacy and things like that and they they really have been delving into nuances of this drama that is fascinating and they're smarter than me i have been enjoying um listening to those so i recommend it as well even just from a pure entertainment standpoint this drama was a feast a feast for the eyes you know everything made you think and the very last question i have for you megan before we go is what game do you think you could have won and what game would you have definitely died in i would have died in all of them except maybe the honeycomb game oh maybe interesting and maybe red light green light i think i could have done the honeycomb game i don't know why i just i think i think i could do that not if i got the umbrella see i have shaky hands i have shaky hands so i think i could have been pretty i would have had to have like been licking that shit i think that i could have done the marble game because kind of felt like a bit of a strategic okay. game of chance but i would have fucking died on the jumping to glass to glass like that's where i was going down because i was even i was thinking i was like well i would have if i could have picked i would have picked in the middle and i would be dead (laughs) well you want to know what i was thinking okay so this is like getting personal but like my feet sweat (laughs) a lot (laughs) i kept thinking if that was me I would hit that glass, my heels would slide out, and I'd just fall. Like, I would just fall. Like, even if I hit the tempered glass, like, my feet would be sweating. Like, I t- there was, like, a 3% chance I could have made it to that. You know, like, because tug of war, mm-hmm. if I'd had the team that knew what they were doing, sure. Maybe, maybe the honeycomb. Maybe, maybe red light, green light. But, yeah, when it came to mm-hmm. that, like, bridge of glass, I was like, oh, fucking dead. And I'm terrified of heights. I would have just passed out and fallen right. off and died. Oh, and especially because you're like literally looking down, which I love. Like they like showed like someone who fell and like her skull was cracked open. There was like blood matter. That was the most gory. And, yeah. Yeah. Some brain. And Neil goes, <laughs> that wouldn't have happened. And I was like, what are you? It's like an expert on like falling from heights. Like what? <laughs> Why would that not? That seemed like the most realistic thing to happen. Why would that not happen? Neil? And since um we did not do a, K- a K-pop wreck, I just need to say this uh, right before this podcast i was killing time and i was on youtube and bling bling by icon came on or it was like in my recommended and i was like sure Uh i've seen i've seen this video before but i'll watch it it's kind of like a fun it's a fun song and it's you know over the top and it's it's about money and in the video they make honeycomb and they're like they're making it and then they're stamping it with their icon logo and i was like huh how fitting so i don't know just saying uh so yeah, if you want a song for today, you can check out Bling Bling by Icon, uh, since we didn't throw in a normal K-pop rec because we've been talking about Squid Game for an hour and 40 minutes. This was a special edition uh, podcast yeah. brought to you by Leah and Megan, who cannot stop talking. And I could easily talk for another hour and a half about Squid Game. No Me problem, too. except about for Squid we have Game. to edit this. So if yeah. you are still here... If you join our mm-hmm. Patreon, which we have, if you go to afternoonadelight.com, mm-hmm. you can join Patreon where we are trying to raise enough money to hire an engineer so that they can mm-hmm. edit our podcast so that we can mm-hmm. just do what we do best, which is yeah. continue talking about drama. 
we do have to keep an eye on the time because we got to edit these and ourselves and we're not super skilled like it takes us a long time because we're just trying our best and so yeah we would love to hire someone and then we can talk as long as we want <laughs> oh god an hour and 40 minutes i have to edit this <laughs> oh jesus all right well anyway with that said if you have any questions about about squid game or want to chat with us about it feel free um our email is afternoon of delight podcast at gmail.com and you can always catch us on all our social medias as well go on our website join our patreon yeah help us hire someone so that we can just keep doing what we do best mm -hmm. and also you know what I am clearing my calendar for Squid Game 2. Yeah. So I'm here. I'm we, here, writer for hire. We got our messy buns and our uh, coffee cups, and we are ready to go. And I work good under pressure, and Me I'm too. fun to be around. Me too. Right? <laughs> we are so much fun. We are so much fun. And we would find really good English actors. <laughs> really, we're just here to help. All right. What do we say? All right. Annyeong. Annyeong. Thank you for listening to Afternoon of Delight. Make sure to subscribe for more great K-Romance conversation. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Afternoon of Delight Podcast for more information on our podcast, behind-the-scenes photos, and, of course, pics of our favorite opas and unis. Annyeong! Annyeong!